All right, if you have your Bibles, grab them. Romans chapter 14. We are chugging along here to finish Romans here just in the next few weeks, and so it's been a fun journey. Romans chapter 14 is where we're at this morning. When I went to college, I went to Bible college in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I went as one of those kids that asks a lot of questions and loves to kind of argue to kind of think through things, and I went thinking I knew a lot of things, and then quickly learned I didn't really know as much about the Bible as I thought, and so uh, for that first semester, just was a, a sponge absorbing all kinds of knowledge and asking all kinds of questions and all these kinds of things, and, and, and in that environment, it was good and it was encouraged, but then I went home for the summer, and I wanted to regurgitate all of those ideas and knowledge and ask those questions and, and debate every topic and issue under the sun with all of my friends that I went to youth group with and, and all of my family, and they didn't want to talk about it. And so I remember like just bringing stuff up and talking, well, what this, and, you know, talking about that, talking about that. And it got so bad, they got so annoyed with me and so over all the things that I wanted to push their buttons on and talk about that they had to have an intervention with me, a come to Jesus meeting, if you will, to say, Brent, you got to stop arguing. You got to stop it. Uh, because it was getting to the point of where it was going to fracture and break and mess up relationships, both with my, my sisters and with my friends. Many of you know what that's like. I mean, just in 2020, we all walk through together as a community, right, of, of controversial issues where everyone wanted to, to air their thoughts, air their grievances, air their opinions. And now there are families and friends who are no longer speaking to one another because of some disagreement that they had, uh, whether it be about politics or masks or whatever, something that happened in 2020. It just There are people today, two years later, who are still not speaking to one another because they have divided over some issue. Lost some. For many of you know what that's like. You've seen it or have you experienced it or have gotten close to it, fighting, disagreeing over some opinion, some thought that you have. Romans 14 this morning is going to address this. And it's going to tell us and talk about how do we have opinions, how do we have disagreements, how do we have thoughts, what do we do with them, and how do we understand what matters most while we have them. So let's, with that said, let's look at Romans chapter 14 together. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks these words. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. One should be, which, one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. From the very beginning, let me be clear, there is one clear point in this entire chapter. One clear point, one clear main idea, and it's this. Write this down. Our unity in Christ is more important than personal opinions or convictions. Our unity in Christ is more important than personal opinions or convictions. Our personal convictions or our personal opinions can at times seem really important to us, right? We are convinced of things uh, that are our opinions about things that are really important. And they can seem like the most important thing in the world. Until that opinion, or the way you handled yourself regarding that opinion, causes you to lose a friendship or lose a family member that no longer wants to talk to you because of this issue. When something like that happens as a result of some strong opinion you have, when you lose a friend, lose a family member, all of a sudden, that opinion you had doesn't really seem worth it. Because you'd rather have that person back than be right about your opinion. Paul makes clear in this text that relationships, our community together, our unity and our, our you know, being this family is more important than being right. Write this down. Maintaining healthy relationships is more important than being right. Maintaining healthy relationships is more important than being right. In the very first verse, Paul tells us not to quarrel or fight over opinions. So before we jump in, we need to define a couple things first. First, we need to define and understand what is a conviction. Let me make sure we're talking about the same thing. A conviction is a personal issue of conscience where you believe something to be right or wrong. A conviction is a 
personal issue of conscience. I personally have this conscience belief that this thing is right or this thing is wrong. Notice the word personal. Right? This is your thoughts on a particular matter. It is your opinion. This is not something that is clearly laid out in the scriptures. Right? This is not you shall not murder. It's like, you know, I'm just convicted murder is wrong. Right? That's not what we're talking about. We all agree on that one. The Bible's clear on that one, right? You might remember me th- talking about theological triage uh, at different times where we have first, second, and third tier issues, right? Convictions are those third tier things. First tier things are those things that we all agree on. If you don't agree on, you're not a Christian, right? That's the resurrection of Jesus. Second tier issues are those things that are really important. And if you disagree, you can still be a Christian, but probably shouldn't go to the same church together, right? Like, like baptism. We disagree on what baptism is, like might just not want to be here because we're not going to baptize your baby. Right? Third tier issues are those that while they're important, there are a range of acceptable views and opinions and there's room for disagreement. Convictions are those. Convictions are these personal opinions that are third tier issues that we can disagree on. That means that no matter how right you think you are, no matter how convinced you think you are, no matter how important of an issue you think it is, someone else can disagree with you and that's okay. Convictions are personal opinions about right and wrong that are not clearly laid out in the scriptures. Right? The belief that you shouldn't commit adultery is not up for debate. That's in the scripture. It's clear. However, the belief that Christians can only vote for a particular political party and good conscience is not incredibly clear in the scriptures. And so you may disagree whether a Christian can vote for a different political party. Here's the thing, we should always show restraint in equating our wisdom, our personal wisdom, our application of a particular principle, we should show restraint in equating those things with the word of God. So unless you can give chapter and verse, and that's really clear, we don't give your perspective in that application as equal the authority of the word of God. Spiritual maturity is this. Spiritual maturity is not just developing strong convictions. It is learning to show restraint in the weight you give those convictions. Every one of us in this room should have convictions and opinions and thoughts on different issues. But spiritual maturity is learning to show restraint in how much weight or credence you give to those particular convictions. The next thing we need to understand in this text is that there are two parties at play. There are two groups of people that Paul was talking about. You have the strong and you have the weak. And what, here's what he says about them. The strong, the strong are those who not only understand the gospel, but they understand the implications of the gospel correctly, as Paul says. That they are correctly applying the scriptures, applying the gospel to all walks of life. They, they are connecting the dots, and they get it. The weak are those who understand the gospel. They're saved, but they've not connected all the dots yet. Right? They see how the gospel liberates them from some areas of life, but they are weak in the sense that they are still convicted about things that they probably really shouldn't be convicted about. So the issue, the issue is theological to start with, but it affects the practical day-to-day. 
That if you do not rightly apply the gospel, you're going to end up living in ways that are out of step with the gospel. So here is the example that is happening in Romans 14. The weak, as Paul calls them, were probably Jewish Christians, Jews who have become Christians, and they are struggling with getting rid of their, all of their old Jewish customs. They are struggling with getting rid of all of those food laws and all of those things they were brought up to do. They do not see yet how the gospel sets them free from food restrictions. They no longer uh, have to abstain from pork, right, because Jesus has set them free. They can eat bacon now, right? But, but, they, but they don't feel like they're convicted that they shouldn't be eating bacon. They feel bad about it. They feel wrong about it. Because they've not connected all the dots of the gospel yet. They've not seen all of the implications and the outworkings of the gospel to set them free from these food laws. And so they're still under these convictions that eating these things are wrong. The other part thing that could be going on is that the meat often in that day was, particularly in Rome, right, was sacrificed to a pagan idol. And so you would buy it at the meat store for a discounted price because it had first been sacrificed to, to Zeus, and Zeus didn't eat it at all. And so now I'll give it to you. Uh, but they felt bad about that because it had been sacrificed to the idol, and some people felt convicted that they shouldn't eat it. The strong don't have this problem. The strong understand that idols don't exist. Zeus doesn't exist. And so just because you set some meat out in front of a statue doesn't mean the meat's tainted. I can eat it. Um, the, the strong do not have the problem eating pork because they understand how the gospel liberates. And they understand the scriptures that all food is now clean and I can eat whatever I want. I can eat shrimp, bless God. And so they go around munching on, a, on its bacon, passing it around, they're walking into church, just chewing on a, you know, I want to picture like a turkey leg, you know what I'm saying? But like, but a pork, right? They're, they're, they're walking in there just eating like it's no big deal. And there lies the problem. You have the strong exercising this liberty, right? Ain't nothing wrong with this, right? They're just, just walking in church with a big old bag of bacon, right? Eating it. And there's nothing wrong with passing around. Y'all try this? Yeah, this is good. Eat this. And it is offending the consciences of the weak. They're like, this? They're blown away. Who would do that? Who would come into the church and eat bacon? Who? I thought you were a Christian. How would you eat this meat sacrificed to idols? They're like, OMG, I can't believe this. I would never eat bacon. <clears throat> you know, they're probably like, you know, I heard my cousin one time ate bacon, and he's never been right since. He's been addicted ever since. It has changed him forever. I'll never touch the stuff. You know, that's what they're doing, right? They're, they're kind of talking about that, and they're like, I can't believe it. And so the weeks, their, their consciences are, are seared and, and hurting because they, they think what these people are doing are, is wrong and unbiblical. You see the problem? The weak have a conviction about something, and they want to impose their convictions on everyone else, on the strong. But the strong know that there's nothing wrong with eating bacon, and while they are correct, biblically, they are in the right they are shoving their freedom down the throats of everyone else. Laughing and mocking and doing whatever they want, not caring. Because everyone else is wrong. You're wrong. I can eat whatever I want. Don't tell me what I can't eat. Jesus died for bacon. 
And so they're shoving their freedom in the face of the weak, and they're causing fights and drama and harsh words and broken relationships and disunity. Now, thank God, we have, dis- we have settled the dispute today over bacon, because if y'all try to tell me not to eat bacon, we're going to have some problems. But we still have issues. We still have issues that are dividing us today. Churches all over the world have issues. In these very walls, we have issues. We have problems. And so this text still can ring true. We have problems of personal convictions growing to the level that you look down on other people who are exercising their freedom. And you think, how could they do that? And the problem of those who are exercising their freedom also do it in such a way that they are flaunting their freedom without care for the consciences of those who think it's wrong. And so we've got problems on both ends, just like they did in chapter 14 in Rome. And here's the way Paul says in verse 3. He addresses both, right? Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So you have the strong, and they should not despise or look down on the weak who think it's wrong to eat bacon. Don't look down. Don't think they're wrong. Don't, don't despise them. But the weak should not look to those who are exercising their freedom and judge the strong. This was not just an issue then. It's an issue now. And it's honestly... It's honestly impressive, right, how easily we, we just as human beings are able to fight and divide over personal convictions. How we love to raise those third-tier issues to become second-tier issues and first-tier. We, we, we want to make our convictions so important and so right. And if you disagree with me, how in the world are you just not even thinking? All right, so we have these issues. Like here's a couple of the issues today that I just kind of thought up. Should you wear your Sunday best to church? Should you wear the best you have to church because God wants your best? Can Christians do yoga? Right? Does, does Yoda come? Did I say Yoda? Do or do not. There's no try. Can, can Christians do yoga? Does it combine Buddhist practices, or can Christians do that with free conscience? Can, are Christians free to, to read whatever translation of the Bible they want, or are we KJV only, 1611? Because if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Should Christians watch movies with magic in it? Harry Potter. Right? Should, should Christians, when they go to Universal Studios and go to Harry Potter, or should they get a wand? Should they get the Elder Wand? And should they do that, or is that wrong? Should Christians drink alcohol? And, and all of the things we divide over aren't even necessarily theological, right? Like we'll, we'll argue in the church like whether or not you should homeschool your kids, private school your kids, or public school your kids. And we'll just divide over that. Or, y'all know this one, breastfeeding, bottle feeding. Many of, of families have been broken over this fight. You mean you're putting a bottle in that baby's mouth? At what age do my kids get a phone? You mean you gave your eight-year-old a smartphone? Right, like we argue over that. Which political party should you vote for, right? The list goes on and on. And there is no doubt in my mind that you have a conviction about at least one of the things I just listed. 
a conviction that a Christian should abstain from something or a belief that there's nothing wrong with one of those things. Chances are most of you have strong opinions and thoughts about many other things. Because while we may not argue about food laws or meat being sacrificed to idols or which holidays we should celebrate, there are a ton of other issues we do fight over. So I think the text gives us five instructions on how we should handle our personal convictions. Whether we are in the weak camp, and some of us in this room are in the weak camp. But don't take that the wrong way. That's just, that's just where you are in your walk right now. And, and, and you want to abstain from things, right? And, and, and others of this, we're in the other camp, and we just feel the freedom to do A, B, or C. And we're, our issue is that we're just flaunting it and don't care what anybody else thinks. So we got issues on both extremes. And God has commands for both groups, for every Christian here. So, five commands on how to handle our convictions and disagreements in the church. Number one, obey your conscience. Obey your conscience. Verse five and six, he says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes a day doesn't honor the Lord. The one who eats doesn't honor the Lord since he gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And look at verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord, Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is. Listen, this is fascinating. right? Paul's saying nothing's unclean in itself. Right? There's no such thing as unclean food. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. That's fascinating. Right? It's like meat sacrificed to Zeus isn't unclean, but if you think it is, it becomes unclean to you. Your conscience says it's wrong, it's wrong. Anything you do in any category or sphere of life, whether you're watching TV, playing sports, buying something, or anything else, if you do it, make sure you do that thing in good conscience as an offering to God. Because if you feel like something is wrong, if you feel like it was wrong for you to do something and you do it anyway, it was wrong for you. And it is a sin. Whether it's actually wrong or not, to violate one's conscience is a sin. Here's an example. If I look at you all right now and I did this, this doesn't mean anything in our culture. Some of y'all know what this means. But if I believed that this communicated something, something offensive, something wrong, something derogatory, if I believed that this did that and I held it up anyway, it would be wrong. It would be sin for me to do this, which is why I'm holding up three fingers, fingers and not, not the one, one finger, finger salute right, right now. Because I think it's wrong to do that, right? Which is, which is another great example, right? My fingers have no intrinsic meaning in and of themselves. But in our culture... There's a certain finger that if I hold up, means something. It communicates something. And even though my fingers don't have words and I have no intrinsic meaning in and of themselves, if I hold that finger up, it's wrong for me. Just because our culture says it's wrong, it mean, and I believe it's wrong, means it's wrong for me to do it. Though that there is actually no power in my fingers, it's still wrong. You see, your conscience is a gift from God. It is sort of a sixth sense that is intended to help guide you to do the right things. And if you sear or go against that conscience and you do what you know to be wrong, you will get to a place where, you, where that voice in your head gets quieter and quieter and quieter. To where you no longer hear him and you're no longer guided by him. You no longer do what he says because then you, in right and wrong become 
ambivalous. And you, you no longer listen, as Jiminy Cricket said, to let your conscience be your guide. And so our consciences are important. Don't sear them. Listen to them. Obey your conscience. Two, while we should obey our conscience, be open to having your mind and conscience changed. Be open to having your mind and your conscience, therefore, change. Paul makes it pretty clear in this chapter that the weak are in the wrong, right? Like, they haven't connected all the dots. There's nothing wrong with eating this food. They're wrong. Their convictions are not the right conclusions to draw from the scriptures. He makes it clear in verse 20, there's no such thing as unclean food. And he makes it clear that those who eat such food, uh, they're not doing anything wrong by eating it. But he doesn't take issue with their practices of eating or not eating. Verse 5, he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Right? So whether you choose to abstain or eat, you need to be fully convinced in your own mind. Why you think it's right, why you think it's wrong. Convictions and opinions flow from the things you are convinced of intellectually. Right? You should not be lazy in your convictions. You should not hold a conviction just because someone else does that you respect. Not just because the preacher told you to hold that conviction or just because that was the way you were raised. You should hold a conviction because you are convinced in your own mind that it is right. Paul here is leaving room to say your convictions might and probably should change over time. Right? They they should change over time because spiritual maturity happens slowly. Like, when you first come to Christ, you're not mature. You've got to grow. You've got to relearn. You've got to apply the gospel to every area of life, right? And that happens slowly. As we grow into maturity in Christ, we grow in our understanding of the scriptures. We grow in our, our, our understanding of how to apply them to all of life. Thoughts change, and as our thoughts change, our wisdom changes, and our convictions will change. And that's good. That's good. That's growth, right? When I first started going to church, I was convicted that no one could actually worship to old hymns, right? That nobody could do this number, singing some song and worship to them. But in the grace and kindness of God, God showed me that I was wrong. And he showed me the error of my ways and that old hymns were great. They were good and they were good for my soul. We can change, we can grow. Just because you change a conviction isn't wrong. Well, let's break down that word for a moment. Let's break down this word, conscience. Right? Uh, that our conscience can change. Conscience, break the etymology, con, science. Science means to know. Con means with. Right? Science is to know, it's knowledge. Con means with. Conscience literally means in accordance with knowledge. So, You are determining if something is right or wrong based on your knowledge. For your convictions to change, that means you have to grow in knowledge. That means you need new information, new experiences. One of my favorite idioms is, you don't know what you don't know. All of us, we don't know what we don't know. You, You see, you might be convinced of something, and you're really sure about that opinion right now. Like, you are so convinced of that opinion on that thing, on that issue, but you may not realize that you only understand 10% of the problem. And you're so convinced, but you only, you think you know it all, but you only understand 10% of it. And as you grow and as you learn more, you realize, oh, I didn't see the whole picture. And your conviction changed. All right, and that's good. 
because you didn't understand it all yet. So hold convictions, yes. Have them, yes. But hold them in such a way that there is room for you to grow and room for you to change. It is a wonderful and beautiful and helpful thing to be humble enough to learn from other Christians, to learn uh, from other Christians that you even didn't expect to learn from, right, because you disagreed with them, right, to learn and to grow from those older than you and to learn and grow from those younger than you. So we need, to be, we need to obey our convictions, but we also need to be open to having them changed. Three, be patient with those who don't see things the way you see. Be patient with those people that don't see things the same way you do. Verse three, he says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Some of you feel the freedom to do things that the scriptures do, does not condemn. And those practices should not be looked down upon by other people. All right, so let's just use the classic controversial example, drinking. It even talks about it at the end, drinking wine. You know the joke, right? Jews don't recognize Jesus. Protestants don't recognize the Pope. And Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor store. Baptists have a long history of being teetotalers, abstaining completely from drinking. But in the past, I don't know, 30, 40 years, that has changed in Baptist life. At least we've changed our honesty about it in Baptist life. There are now plenty of Baptists, including Baptist denominational leaders and pastors who drink. And so here is the temptation for those who feel that the freedom to drink or the freedom to do something else, right, that that others might see as unwise or wrong. The temptation is to look down on those who have no problem with it. To look look down on those who have no problem with it as, as legalistic or even as not very intelligent because they haven't been able to see the scripture give us the freedom to drink. But one of two things is true. For the strong person who, who uses this freedom, who feels like nothing is wrong with it, it's totally fine. Either one, you're actually wrong in your position. Like it's possible, whether it's drinking or something else, like you're actually wrong in your position on this issue, whatever the issue is. Or two, that God has graced you with the level, a level of insight to be able to see that you have freedom in Christ to, to partake of alcohol or whatever other thing. And that you have arrived at this correct conclusion by the grace of God, not because you are smarter. So therefore, be patient with those people who haven't quite got there yet. Don't mock them. Don't parade your freedom in front of them. Don't belittle them. But be patient with them just as God has been patient with you. Just because you, you, you believe you're right and you do this thing you feel like you have the freedom to do and other people are, are, are judging you for that, be patient with them. Be patient with them because God's grace led you to that conclusion. He just hasn't got, he, they ain't got there yet. Patient with them. And when the roles are reversed, and when you are the weak and you don't approve of something someone else does, you don't reject them either. Because of the opposite side, when you don't approve of someone doing something, like, like, like drinking alcohol or something else, you will be tempted to say, well, they're just not very spiritual. Right? Or they just haven't been a Christian that long. They don't got it yet. Right? Or I don't even know if they're saved. 
Paul says, God has accepted them. God has accepted them. Whether they're eating or not eating, whether they're drinking or not drinking, God has accepted them. God has accepted that person despite their mistakes. So you must not reject them. If you reject someone or belittle them because they are doing something you think is wrong, not that the scriptures clearly make wrong, but something you think is wrong or you think is unwise, here's what Paul says. He's saying, you have taken the judgment seat of God. You have taken God off his throne. You've taken his place, sat down, and now you are the arbiter and the judge. You are implying that God's acceptance of them is misguided. That God shouldn't be accepting them. That God is misguided because God, if you really knew what they were doing, God, you wouldn't accept them. If you really knew how they were eating bacon all the time, you would not accept them. If you really knew how they were drinking, you would not accept them. You are effectively saying that you are more selective than God is and who he should welcome in. But how could we not fellowship with someone that God has fellowship with? Right? We are to fellowship those whom God has welcomed in. Because the good news of the gospel is that God in his patience and love for us accepts, accepts all of us despite our mistakes. You think someone, what someone's doing is a mistake? God has accepted them despite that mistake. And that should lead us to accept one another even when we disagree over a conviction or an opinion. We should accept each other despite that disagreement because God has accepted them. And his acceptance is the standard. You don't get to say, well, God, I'm not sure you got that one right. So whether you are a teetotaling, anti-Harry Potter, breastfed only, wear your Sunday best person, or you are a bourbon-sipping, bacon-munching, house of Gryffindor-repping, wear shorts to church Christian, recognize the sincerity of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Respect them, even if you can't get on board with their convictions, that the church is unique and and our unity is not conformity. Our unity isn't that we all agree and we're all the exact same. Our unity is bearing with one another in love. Putting up with all you Harry Potter haters in love. Despite our diversity of opinions, we love and we bear with one another. We have unity. Four, stop judging God's servants as if they reported to you. This, when I read this, this was, this was tough. This was like, this like stung a little bit. Verse 4, he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. This one principle, if we applied it, would resolve so much conflict in our lives, guys. When you see someone else doing something you think is wrong, when you see someone doing something you think is wrong, and everything in you wants to rebuke them, or tell someone else about how you can't believe that they would do that thing. Remember this. They don't report to you. They don't answer to you. They are God's servant, not your servant. They report to God, not you. They don't answer to you. They answer to God. And if they are in the wrong, God will correct them. Remember, we are not talking about clear sin issues, black and white sin issues. Those are a different process for that, right? We are talking about convictions and wisdom issues. And this doesn't mean 
that you never speak about your convictions, right? That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you don't try to persuade people, right? I was telling somebody this morning they need to watch Harry Potter. Said they couldn't get through the books. I said, well, watch the movies. They're great. I was trying to persuade, right? Persuade people. Speak your peace and embrace those whom you disagree with in love. Speak your peace, speak your mind in, in love and in gentleness, and then embrace as brothers and sisters and move forward together. Hold hands in your disagreement. Move forward together because that person answers to God, not you. If someone disagrees with you on politics, if someone disagrees with you on uh, whether you should homeschool or private school or public school, if someone disagrees with you on whether a Christian can drink alcohol, Share your opinion in kindness and gentleness and stick together. Don't look for another small group because you can't be in the same small group with that guy who voted for Joe Biden. Don't change your small group because you can't be in the same small group for that person whom you saw post that picture on Facebook with the margarita. Don't leave your small group because you can't sit in the same class with that person who bought their Harry Potter wand and have been saying Wingardium Leviosa everywhere. It's not Leviosa, it's Leviosa. If God accepts them, who am I to keep them at a distance? If God makes them his family, they are my family. They don't report to me, they report to God. Five. Prioritize your brother's spiritual health over your freedom. This might be the hardest part, honestly. It's super hard for me. Uh, a couple of verses. Verse 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Paul is saying that if me walking into the church house munching on some bacon is causing problems, and some of my brothers and sisters are freaking out about my bacon eating and they can't get over it, then it is the loving thing to do to refrain from eating bacon in front of them. It is better to give up my freedom, even though I'm right, that bacon is good and holy and it's worshipful to eat. Even though I'm right, it is better to give up that thing that isn't wrong for the sake of my brothers and sisters who, who are in that, in that moment weaker in the faith and are not quite ready for bacon just yet. Now, I want to be honest, right? This is, so this is hard for me. It's hard for me to say that I won't do something for the sake of someone else's wrongness. It's really hard for me, right? I don't want to not do something that's totally right because I, I want to support you in your wrongness, right? That's hard. I want to be the guy that says, bro, you're wrong. I want to be the guy that says, Jesus died for bacon. Come smell the stuff. It's awesome. Read your Bible. Eat it. You'll never be the same. I want to be the guy that says, read your Bible, man. It's not in there. But here's where I'm wrong and where the scripture has to correct me. Jesus loved my weaker brothers and sisters so much that he died for them. And can I not love my weaker brothers and sisters enough to abstain for them? He could die for them. 
who am I to say that I can't give up bacon for them? Right? If Jesus loved them enough to die for them, surely I can love them enough not to bring up that difficult topic just yet. I can love them enough not to drink in front of them. I can love them enough not to wear my hat to my cowboy hat in the church because that really bothers somebody. But just as I know that that's hard for me, it's hard for my brothers and sisters who, as Paul says, are weaker in the faith, have not got to the point of maturity where they've been able to apply the gospel to these things just yet. So out of love, I abstain in their presence. Not when I'm not around them. I'm eating bacon at home. When I'm around them, give up. I give it up for our unity because I love them more than my freedom. If you're drinking alcohol, really bothers someone's conscience. Don't do it in front of them. Don't talk about it all the time. If it makes them feel like they are participating in evil or it makes them stumble, love them enough to stop. Love them more than your freedom. Love them enough to abstain because they are more important than your freedom. And if you are weak, Paul says, stop judging. Stop because you might be wrong. Stop judging. So, obey your conscience. Be open to the fact that your conscience might be wrong and you need to change your opinion, your conviction. Be patient with those who don't see things the way you see them. Give them time and space to grow. And be okay if they never come around to things the way you see them. Be okay if they never get on the right opinion as you see it. Stop judging people as if you were God and they reported to you. And if they are wrong, that's between them and God. Leave it to him. And care more about them and their conscience than you do your own freedom. What I love about this chapter is that there are commands for everyone. It's not one-sided. It's not just, hey, weak guys, you guys got to get right. And it's not just strong guys, you guys got to give it up. There's something for everybody. There's a command here for everyone because it is on all of us to be unified. It's not just on the weak. It's not just on the strong. It's on all of us to have unity and love. Both the weak and the strong have work to do. The weak need to keep applying the gospel and get their convictions in order with the scriptures. The strong need to be patient and they don't need to flaunt their freedom in front of people. And they need to give up their freedom for the sake of those who aren't quite there yet. The whole point is that our relationships with each other and our unity and our bond as a family is more important than our convictions. It is more important than our opinions and our squabbles. Let's be a people who would rather lose an argument than lose a friend. Would rather lose an argument than lose a brother or sister. Because we have a model in Jesus who would and did rather lose his life than lose you. And if he can lose his life, I can lose my freedom. Jesus' blood is thicker and stronger than any of our disagreements. It's bigger and stronger than any of our petty squabbles. His blood makes us family, and family comes first. So whether you drink bourbon and belong to the house of Slytherin, or whether you are a teetotaler who wears their Sunday best, whether you voted for Trump or voted for Biden, whether you eat bacon or you refrain from eating GMOs, may our mantra be, whether our convictions line up or not, these people are my family and nothing 
comes between family. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come and we're grateful that your word can be so clear on so many things. We're grateful that your word has been so clear on the most important issues. That we might have great unity around things that are of most importance. That we can have great unity around things like the resurrection. And Father, we ask, we're thankful that you've given us a conscience and that you've put your spirit within us that we might discern what is right and wrong. We might discern wisdom. That we would learn from one another that, that in this room we can learn from older Christians who have been walking in the faith for years and years. And, and then surprisingly we can learn from those younger Christians who teach us things that we should have known already. And we don't realize how we didn't know that. God, thank you for a family that encourage one another and build one another up. God, help us to be a church that doesn't divide over third-tier conviction opinions. Help us be a church that holds them strongly. Help us be a church who cares about things enough to think through them well. Help us to be convinced in our own minds of things. But help us not to divide over them. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you and are far from you, they're not a part of this family. These things don't apply to them because they don't belong to the family. God, would you give them the courage this morning to come down and talk to me as we sing this song. And we can talk about how to follow Jesus, how to make them him the king of their life, and how their sins can be forgiven. I'm going to stand right up here. If that's you, come talk to me. If you're here in this room this morning and you've got friends or family and uh, people that you have uh, been alienated from, you have... Uh, uh, been separated from them because of some argument, some disagreement of, over some, some silly thing now. It seems so important, but now it seems so silly. I would love to just take your hand, hug your neck, pray, pray over that with you, give you the courage to go settle up, go make things right, go win that brother or sister back. If you're here this morning, you need to pray about that. You need to pray about anything else going on in your life, and I would just love to pray with you. If you need to stand and just sing and thank the Lord, for his goodness, do that. Whatever the Holy Spirit would call you to do, do that. God, give us strength to do it. In Christ's name we pray, all people said. Let's stand together.